0: You're about to listen to the first episode of Stolen, The Search for Jermaine. For more episodes, head to Spotify, where you can follow and listen for free. A quick warning before we start the show. This series contains descriptions of adult subject matter, including details of violence and trauma. Please take care while listening. So much of my work, and really my life, is spent immersed in the lives of women that I can never meet. Women who have been stolen from their families and communities. Women whose lives have been cut short, but who I imagine still need justice. The first woman whose story haunted me was named Pamela George. I was in high school when I first heard about Pamela. She was a soda woman from the Sakame First Nation, not far from my own reserve in southern Saskatchewan. Pamela was a single mom with two young kids. In April 1995, she was killed. And because the two men who were charged with her murder were young, white university students, their trial dominated headlines in Canada. News reports described Alex Ternowetsky and Stephen Comerfield's charmed lives. One was a basketball star, the other a hockey standout. But the only thing I remember from the headlines about Pamela was that they called her an aboriginal prostitute. I remember reading how the two men were out drinking one night in Regina and how one of them hid in the trunk when they picked up Pamela. They took her to the outskirts of the city, sexually assaulted her, and beat her. They left her in the ditch where her body was found the next day. I read about how they bragged about it to one of their friends, They said, we drove around, got drunk, and killed this chick. She deserved it. She was Indian. They were both acquitted of Pamela George's murder and convicted of manslaughter. They were sentenced to six and a half years each, but actually served less than four. I remember feeling outraged, sad, even hopeless when the verdict was announced— as I'm sure every other Indigenous woman and girl in the province did, not only because of how the justice system devalued Pamela's life, but because of what the judge, jury, media, and society's acceptance of this injustice said about how they valued our lives. We didn't hear about how Pamela was a mother, daughter, sister, auntie, how her life was taken from her children, her family, and her community, and how her death is part of a history of violence against Indigenous women that goes back 500 years to when the land we're all standing on now was stolen. It was the first time I thought about becoming a journalist, but it would be almost two decades before I got the green light to report on women like Pamela. The first story I covered was the unsolved murder of Leah Anderson. And then, Amber Tuckero, Trish Carpenter... Alberta Williams, Cleo Semegonis, and now the disappearance of Jermaine Charlotte. Hi, I'm Jermaine. This is my blog about me.
1: Missoula police are identifying persons of interest in the disappearance of Jermaine Charlotte. I said something's not right.
2: I just had that feeling. I haven't had a case
3: like this. I've been up in the woods, I've looked under houses, in tunnels. People just don't disappear it's a
4: really scary world especially for the native people people
2: didn't realize how thick the woods are here it's like looking for a needle in a haystack
1: what the family was told is not the truth and i know the
0: truth Uh It's a Friday night in June of 2020. I'm walking around in downtown Missoula, Montana. We're in the middle of the pandemic, but you wouldn't know it. There are tons of people out tonight, enjoying a beautiful summer night. I'm here trying to retrace the steps of a young woman named Jermaine Charlotte. Two years ago, Jermaine was here at a bar called The Badlander. It's right downtown next to a few other bars on a busy strip. I imagine it was a similar scene here that night, and Jermaine probably fit right in. She's young, 23 years old, wearing blue jeans and cowboy boots. But in other ways, I'm sure Jermaine stood out. She's tall, slender, and striking. Also, she's Indigenous, from a reservation just outside of town, and I don't see very many Native Americans in downtown Missoula. Jermaine was here at the Badlander until just after midnight, when she left the bar, walked down this long, dark alley, turned the corner, and was never seen again. Jermaine Charlotte was one of the thousands of missing or murdered Indigenous women and girls in the United States. Too many of these cases go untold and remain unsolved. But Jermaine's case is only two years old, Finding Germaine and solving the mystery of her disappearance is not only possible, it's tantalizingly close. I'm going to dive deep into Germaine's life, learn as much as I can about her. I'll talk to her family, her friends, try to find out what led to that moment in the alley. How could a young, healthy mother of two completely vanish and never be seen again? I want to find out the truth about what happened to Jermaine Charlo.
1: So maybe what we can do is I'll show you Jermaine's stuff, and then later I can show you more Missoula stuff if you want.
0: Sure. And I don't have- I'm in a car getting a tour of Missoula. My guide is a man named Guy Baker.
1: So there's a river that runs through Missoula.
0: I just arrived late last night. This is my first time in Missoula. But Guy was born and raised here. And you can tell he's proud of his hometown.
1: And then the cool thing about Missoula is, you know, it's the biggest urban area in the Rocky Mountains. Guy
0: is not actually a tour guide. He's a cop. Not just any cop. He's the lead investigator in Jermaine Charlotte's disappearance. Guy's here with me on his day off. He's offered to show me around. Our first stop is on the Flathead Reservation, just north of Missoula. So where are we off to now? Which direction? No, like, where are we going?
1: Oh, we we're like... going to Dixon, where Jermaine grew up, and Jermaine were raised with her, with Vicky, and then where Jermaine's house was. Okay. And we'll spend a little time up here.
0: In a lot of the stories I've covered... Police are often criticized for the way they handle cases of missing Indigenous women. But Guy, he seems to have a different outlook.
1: It just blows my mind. I've said this before. I mean, how do you, as an investigator, an officer, an agent, whoever in law enforcement, if you have a missing or murdered female, how do you not treat that case? Like, you would want somebody to treat your wife, your daughter, or your mother. It just doesn't... Makes sense. Makes
0: I'm not sense. used to police officers like Guy. Jermaine's case is only two years old. He says it's an open and active investigation. In Canada, that means that police tell you next to nothing about their case. Guy is much more open.
1: So see that cell tower up there? Where? Right there on the where the green is at the oh, side yeah, of the yeah, forest. Yeah. So that's the problem we have. That's the only cell tower. Up here.
0: And so... Guys told me about the thousands of hours that have gone into trying to find Jermaine. He follows investigative leads, but he's also open to other suggestions, like listening to psychics or even Jermaine's family's dreams.
1: Valinda said she asked, Jermaine came to her in a, in a yeah. dream, and Jermaine says she's in the Evro Hill area.
0: The Rocky Mountains run through the Flathead Reservation. I look out my window and see forested mountains on either side of the valley.
1: And this is called Arlee. Um, they have pow powwow grounds here.
0: This land is home to the Salish, Ponderay, and Kootenai tribes. It's a huge reservation, nearly 2,000 square miles, and home to 26,000 people. By comparison, my reserve in rural Saskatchewan is 23 square miles and home to about 250 people. It's very beautiful here
1: wait until you see the mountains that we haven't seen yet. But yes, I mean, this is a very pretty, very pretty place.
0: I know there are a lot of similarities between Indigenous people on both sides of the border, but there are a lot of differences too. I've never been to the Flathead Reservation before. I'm a stranger here. But I bet that whatever Jermaine's story is, it's connected to this land and this place. And I want to make sure I get it right. So this is Dixon Agency? Yep. Yep. This is where Vicky lives.
1: Yep, and I've never even gone to Vicky's house.
0: Though. Dixon Agency is a tiny village in an isolated part of the reservation. There are only a few dirt roads and about a dozen houses and trailers. Some of them look run down or abandoned. But we pull up to a cute little yellow house with green and white trim. It got sunny. This is Jermaine's grandma's house. Hi. Hi. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to meet
2: I'm Connie. You. I I'll look like heck because we've been running around all day. You look great.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've seen your photos and on Facebook, and um, I actually yeah. watched a video of you guys oh, at yes. an MMIW event. Um, oh. Yeah, but I, I yeah. anyway. So it's nice to meet you in person.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Hi, Vicky. Hi. How are you? Ready?
0: Tired. <laughs> it's been busy. I, I gonna love gonna go your flowers a for a walk. Oh,
2: thank yeah. you.
0: Before I came to Montana, I talked to Jermaine's aunts on the phone. They told me that Jermaine was closest to Vicky, her grandmother, or Yaya in Salish. They said the last few years have been really hard on Vicky. They said I could meet her, but that she doesn't usually talk to reporters. They said Jermaine's disappearance is too hard for her to talk about. Did you plant everything?
2: Uh, Most of it,
0: yeah. She seems open to talking to me, and I want to ask her about Jermaine, but I don't want to rush her. On our first visit, we mostly just walk around her yard and chat, while a large, furry brown dog follows her.
2: This this dog here, I swear she's hanging on until we find her as well. Aww. This is Angel, and uh, that's where she stayed with Jermaine with most of the time. Really? Yeah. yeah. She loved
0: animals, she hey? Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Animals. She always wanted to have a little farm of her own quite the artist. Really very good artist, very good writer. Oh, really? Yeah. Her write? mom, she just liked to write.
0: Um, I like Vicky. Something about her feels familiar to me. She reminds me of other Indigenous elders I know. They're often small in stature, like Vicky, but you can tell they carry an inner strength, that they've had to be incredibly strong to be where they are today. And in the last two years, vicky has been through a lot.
2: It's hard. It's hard. There's days that, I don't know, when she'd come to the house, um, she'd always, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You know, she always knew to fi- where to find me. I'd be either in the kitchen or someplace, especially if it was early. And just always wait for that hug. And it's, it's hard because you hear the door open and you're looking, you know, who is it?
0: Vicki and I met up again a few days later. It was obvious how close she was with Jermaine and how proud she was of her.
2: She was a good mom. Thomas, he just reminded me so much of his mother. Kind of had that little wild hair and he loved to be outside and loved to run. And he was, I think those two were really close. And he's the one that looks like his mom.
0: Jermaine lived just around the corner from Vicky's house with her two young sons. Thomas was just shy of his fourth birthday when his mom went missing, and Jacob was only two and a half. Now the boys are six and five years old. I wonder how much they remember of Jermaine.
2: She visits me sometimes in my dreams. You know, it's weird because sometimes I remember them and sometimes I don't. But David said every time you dream about her, I just... I'll sit straight up in bed, you know, when I wake up. It's like, crazy.
0: The last time Vicky saw Jermaine was two years ago, just days before she went missing. Vicky was standing in the spot where I met her in her yard, packing up her car. She was heading out of state to visit family. She remembers she was just about to leave when Jermaine came to say goodbye.
2: Jermaine said, I want to go. And I said, well, come on, you can go. And she said, no, I can't. She said, because she was going to work fires.
0: Jermaine was supposed to start training to become a firefighter the following week. And even though Vicky tried to convince her to come with them, Jermaine stayed behind.
2: And I kept telling her, you can go. I said, that stuff can wait. And she decided not to. And then I kicked myself in the ass for not making her just come
0: with us. A few days later, Vicki talked to Jermaine on the phone. But Jermaine wasn't alone. She had a new boyfriend. His name was Jacob Love. And they were together on speakerphone when they called Vicky.
2: I was laughing at them because, are you sure we're not related? Um, my cousin Dan Ludke is married to Jacob's aunt. And for some reason, they kept thinking, you know, and I said, No. Like Jermaine
0: was asking you, yeah, if she was related to her her new boyfriend. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and I said Jacob's related to the aunt. You're related to Dan, and I ha- it took me a while, and I was laughing, and and it was you know, and you could tell they were in good moods. They were happy, and because we were all laughing, and
0: what was he like? This new
2: boyfriend? He was nice. Um, he was very quiet, kind of a shy person.
0: Vicky says Germaine had just started dating Jacob, but she seemed to really like him, and they were spending a lot of time together in the weeks leading up to her disappearance.
2: I could see I could see the connection with those two. Um, because he seemed like an outdoors type person. And I know when they came they'd go walk and and visit and you know, if she wanted to go fishing, he'd take her fishing, yeah.
0: How long were they, were they dating, do you think?
2: Mm, before her disappearance, maybe a month. Mm. That's a maybe, though.
0: Jermaine was last seen on Friday, June 15, 2018, just after midnight. Vicky talked to her earlier that day. She was with Jacob in Missoula, but said that he was heading out of town, and Jermaine was going to stay at his place for the night. When Vicky woke up on Saturday morning, she checked her phone. I
2: seen that I had missed a call that evening from her. So I kept trying to call her and there was no answer. Was that unusual? Yeah, yeah. She would usually call me back if she seen she missed a call from me. That whole day she didn't answer the phone.
0: Vicky says Jermaine was someone who spent a lot of time on her phone and on social media. In the days before she went missing, Jermaine was active on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok. On the day she went missing, she posted two videos to TikTok. In one of them, she's lip-syncing to a scene from a TV show called Supernatural. Girls ...and
1: Dean girls, and what's a slash fan? As in, Sam slash Dean, together.
0: But after Friday night, there were no posts from Jermaine anywhere, and she wasn't answering Vicky's calls or responding to her messages. Vicky was worried right away, so she called Jermaine's new boyfriend, Jacob, to see if he knew where she was.
2: I called Jacob, and I asked him, I said, Jacob, have you heard from
0: her? And then, Jacob said he didn't know where Jermaine was, and he was worried too. And then that's when he said, he
2: tried to put a call into her, and he said it sounded like somebody hung up.
0: Jacob told Vicky that he talked to Jermaine on Friday evening while she was out, but when he tried calling her again later that night, he thought someone deliberately hung up her phone. When we didn't hear from her,
2: I said something's not right. You know, I just had
0: that feeling. Why did you have that feeling? Um,
2: when she doesn't answer her phone and nobody else has heard from her, that's not Jermaine.
0: Germaine has a big family on the Flathead Reservation, but she's closest to Vicky's side, the Morgeaux. When Vicky couldn't reach Jermaine, she started calling her kids.
4: You know, we were just trying to call each other, you know, our family, like, have you heard, have you heard? No, nobody's heard from
0: her. Nobody's heard from her. That's Jermaine's aunt, Danny Matt.
4: When we just couldn't find her, it's like you start calling the hospitals. I called all the hospitals here in Missoula, because last place she was at was Missoula. Called the hospitals, nothing. We reached out to the shelters, reached out to her friends, started like on Facebook hey, have you guys seen her? You know, if you guys hear from her, have her call us. And it was, I believe that one was
0: Sunday. It had been two days since anyone had heard from Jermaine. Her family was afraid that she was hurt or in danger. They wanted to get law enforcement involved immediately. But right from the start, Jermaine's family felt like it was difficult to get police to take her disappearance seriously and even to report her missing.
4: Valida was trying to follow the missing persons, and she got no from
0: city to the county, to the tribe, to the city, to the county. Her family says Jermaine was reported missing to the Flathead Tribal Police on Sunday and to the Missoula City Police on Monday. Because she was last seen in Missoula, her family felt police there should be out looking for her. But when her aunt Valinda called the Missoula Police to follow up, She says they told her to come in person to the police station to fill out a form.
4: And so she had to come in on Tuesday and and actually file the report. That was a mess. And I don't feel it was taken serious from the beginning.
0: We asked Missoula police. They said Jermaine was actually reported missing to them on Wednesday, five days after she was last seen. They say a detective was assigned to her case the next day. Her family also started looking for other help. They found a nonprofit organization in Missoula that's known for organizing searches for missing people. It's called the Lifeguard Group, and it's run by a man named Lowell Hockhalter.
3: I received a phone call, and when I heard her voice, um, man, I was horrified.
0: Lowell remembers hearing from Jermaine's mom, Jennifer Morgeau, a few days after Jermaine went missing.
3: I've I've heard it from parents before, and every time I'm I feel that same way. And and Jennifer just said, you know, I'm I'm Jermaine's mom, and just um, said my my daughter Jermaine went missing, you know, and she gave me this scenario, you know, and I said, is it okay if we begin to search immediately?
0: The lifeguard group's main goal is to combat human trafficking. No one knew if Jermaine's disappearance had anything to do with trafficking, but Lowell mobilized his team right away. He got a small group together, and they met in downtown Missoula where Jermaine was last seen to do what he calls a hasty search.
3: I mean, it's exactly that. It's it's not something, a search that you plan out, you grid out, that you give specific assignment. We had flyers printed immediately, made up a missing person, got the picture out, and off we went and we searched and got people on the street to the places where she was last seen, just started asking questions.
0: Lowell says he and his group spread out. He handed out flyers with Jermaine's photo and other volunteers went inside the Badlander and other bars in the area.
3: Probably better described as a canvassing, but um, we did walk some, some alleys and looked everywhere
0: this was on Thursday, six days after Jermaine disappeared. But Lowell was hopeful that people in downtown Missoula would remember seeing Jermaine.
3: It's not like we're some large town, so you're, you're going to notice things. Things are going to stick out. You're going to remember seeing somebody. Um, so people recognized her. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I saw her. It was like, oh, yeah, like she's, you know, we've seen before. Her. I've played her in pool. I mean, you could tell it was a very familiar she was a very very familiar person there. Um, because it would have been her crowd. I mean, it was young, college age, boys and girls. I mean, and Jermaine is a beautiful girl. Um, I'm sure I it does wouldn't surprise me a bit. I mean, I'm a man. Um, I've seen pictures of Jermaine. She was she's beautiful. And so obviously she stuck out. So yeah, a lot of people remembered her that night, which of course gives you hope. Okay, okay, we're on the, you know, it's like a, right, it's like a a search dog that picks up the scent. And so we knew we were on the right track.
0: Lowell says they handed out 500 posters and started to learn things about Jermaine from people on the street who recognized her. What did people say about Jermaine's state of mind that night? Did she seem like she was out having fun or was she upset or? Nope, they said
3: exactly that. She was out having fun, playing pool, Dancing, having fun. I guess she was quite the pool player.
0: What was the mood um, in your search at that point? And, and what were you thinking about? Did you have any theories about what might have happened or where she was?
3: To be honest, to be 100% honest with you, I thought we were going to find her that night. I I, I just thought we were going to find her. I really did. I, I thought somebody, I thought we, you know, that... Maybe she lost her you know she lost her phone she didn't have any way to post uh online and she was hanging out with some friends and didn't think it was that big of a deal that she hadn't posted on Facebook and who what's the big deal anyway I'm an adult I honestly thought we'd find her that night I hundred percent felt that way
0: you were hopeful
3: yeah I, I to the point where I honestly in my mind had already rehearsed what I was going to post on the follow-up. I, I just knew it. I knew it. I could see it in my mind, the bright red found that we were going to be able to stamp right across her poster. I could see it.
0: But Lowell and the lifeguard group didn't find Jermaine Charlotte that night. And the more time that passed without any word from Jermaine the more concerned everyone was about her disappearance. Coming up after the break, police find footage of Jermaine from the night she disappeared.
3: As she left the bar that night, you just saw her walking away.
0: About a week after Jermaine Charlo was last seen, Lowell Hockalter and the Lifeguard Group organized another search. It was more of a grid search, with even more volunteers and Jermaine's family. And this one got attention from local media.
2: Jermaine Austin Charlo of Dixon has been missing for eight days, and today around 30 volunteers gathered to search for any sign of her whereabouts. A
0: reporter from a local TV station talked to Jermaine's mom. Jennifer Morgeau. If she is out there
2: and able to hear us or see, hopefully she realizes, you know, that we really do love her. We want her home.
0: In the video, Jen is looking down while she talks, obviously struggling to maintain her composure. You can see in her face just how hard this is, and you can hear in her voice just how desperate she is to find Germaine.
2: And I just... It's not a situation where she doesn't have control of that. And if it is, whoever's out there listening, I hope that they can see that she's a beautiful girl and she has family and kids that love her
0: and we need her home. With each day that passed, Jermaine's family grew more and more concerned that they hadn't heard from her and worried that important clues about where she was might disappear.
2: Those days are crucial. I mean, even on TV, they tell you the first 48 hours is when you're going to find your best answers.
0: A detective from the Missoula Police Department was assigned to investigate Jermaine's case on Thursday, six days after she was last seen. Her family was frustrated. They didn't feel like the detective did enough, that most of his time was spent doing things they'd already done.
2: The first detective on there,
4: didn't do shit for a whole week. He did not do anything. Well, the first two days we spent calling, you know, on the hospitals and shelters, I said, we already did that. We told you guys we already did that. So now you've just wasted t- an additional two more days, to, you know, and it took us a
0: couple of days to get her even turned into being missing. The Missoula Police Department told us that detective actually only worked on Jermaine's case for one day because when he was assigned, it was his last day of work before he had three days off. When he came back to work the following Monday, Ten days after Jermaine disappeared, he was also assigned to investigate a double shooting in Missoula. Jermaine's family wanted police to be out trying to find her. Instead, they say it was the Lifeguard Group who organized the searches for Jermaine. But the Lifeguard Group is a nonprofit organization that runs mostly on volunteers. They're not law enforcement.
4: The Lifeguard Group, you know, we owe them so much. I'm so grateful for them. I'm thankful for the police department, too. I'm not hating on them, but... The lifeguard group actually gave a genuine, sincere effort to help our family and to reach out. And, you know, we, we need flyers made. You know what? They made the flyers. We need help to organize this. They helped organize this, you well, know, are you for the searches. you surprised
0: that a nonprofit group is out there searching before the police were for
4: Jermaine? Very much so. And, and you know, a nonprofit has limits. You know, they can go search a public area. They, they can't go get a search warrant, you know, and... I wish that the police department had as much drive as the nonprofit did to, to assist in things. It's like the police are assisting the nonprofit organizations in our family on something they should just be doing. It's,
0: I, I'm very frustrated. Lowell was concerned too. He often works with police to help them find missing people, so he has an idea about how those cases are usually handled.
3: When a report comes in, you know, the typical uh, action that's, you know, a a deputy or a police officer will show up at the residence and take a report, attach a case number, and it is then broadcast out. But it's not like, you know, that the entire police force is now going to go and find that person. It's typically, it'll sit in a basket and... And so sometimes we we find ourselves pushing law enforcement a little bit. Like, listen, could you check this out?
0: That's what you did with Jermaine's case?
3: We did. We had to. I felt like we had to. We had to maybe light a little bit of a fire to say this isn't this isn't the typical. And I and I I hate that because there really isn't. You know, if it's my kid, it's not typical. Like, the freaking world better stop and find my child.
0: Lowell had met Jermaine's family a few times by then and saw how desperate they were to find Jermaine. He wanted to help, so he called another detective that he knew, a friend of his with the Missoula Police.
1: Lowell had had contacted me while I was still on vacation and told me about this case, and I requested it be reassigned to me.
0: Guy Baker is a third-generation police officer and has worked with the Missoula Police Department for over 30 years. For most of his career... He's been a detective in major crimes.
1: When I got there Tuesday, I mean, she had been, she went missing early Saturday. I mean, we're at 10 days and no one's heard of Jermaine Charlotte. Yeah, I was obviously concerned at that point.
0: You were concerned at that point? I was concerned from the get-go. Guy says 10 days had passed, but it was actually 11. 11 long days since Jermaine was last seen or heard from. It's hard to imagine what that time must have been like for her family. Worried. Wondering if Jermaine was out there somewhere, what was keeping her from coming home? And the frustration with the police response to her disappearance made it even worse. I don't know if Guy knew all of that before going into his first meeting with Jermaine's family, but he told me he was nervous.
1: There was about 10 people there, and we were all gathered around a picnic table, and there was not a lot of people looking at me. Um, They were obviously uh, in despair and they were all Native, and I was white.
0: I'm glad Guy mentions it, because that's not an insignificant thing. I'm not from here, but this tension between Indigenous people and settlers is something I've encountered in all of my reporting in Indigenous communities. Jermaine's family is already feeling frustrated with the police, and here's another officer, trying to convince them that he's one of the good guys.
1: I just remember feeling their pain, I mean... And I don't know if they believed me at the time, but I wanted them to know that I was being sincere. I don't know if I wanted to have them believe that this was important and I was doing something because they were native as much as it was they're not from Missoula. So I don't know what your experience is with law enforcement wherever you're from, uh, but we're doing everything we can to find your missing family member.
0: I wondered if Guy had any regrets about the way Jermaine's case was handled before he got it. So I asked him about it while we were driving back to Missoula. Do you wish that you had been on Jermaine's case from the beginning?
1: Yeah, probably. I was on vacation, so...
0: Yeah.
1: Um, that detective did what he thought he had to do, and... Missing adults are different than missing kids. And a crime scene and no crime scene is different. So if somebody says they just saw a kid or a teenager or a female abducted and pulled into a car, that changes the whole game as opposed to we haven't heard from her for two days.
0: Guy defends his colleague. He says what the first detective did in Jermaine's case is what cops normally do for missing adults because the reality is most are found within a few days.
1: So um, that's why, you know, initially what do you do on the report of a missing adult? So check the jails, has she been arrested? Has she been admitted to a hospital? Check her social media that you can access. Talk to the people that have known her most recently and did everything seem fine? What was going on? What do you think happened to her? Uh, Where would you look for her if you were uh, me, Um, calling her phone, uh, maybe sending her a text, maybe trying to communicate with her on social media? Those are kind of things you do, and you know, more times than not, you find an adult is safely somewhere else.
0: But after 11 days, Jermaine wasn't found safely somewhere else. And as soon as Guy was assigned Jermaine's case, he acted with more urgency. He started tracking down the people she was with in the days leading up to her disappearance.
1: When you have a missing person case, Initially, you know, looking into do people that associate with them—boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, roommates—do they know what happened to them? You're looking to the previous 48 to 24 hours before a person goes missing, who they're with, and and tracking down those timelines of involved persons. That's that occurred with in several people, but including uh, the current boyfriend.
0: One of the first people that guy said he wanted to talk to. Was Jacob Love, Jermaine's new boyfriend. He wanted to know where he was the night Jermaine went missing.
1: He had a planned reason to be out of town, and, and that's where he was. And uh, she and he had communicated by cell uh, before she disappeared when she was in the downtown area, and he was over 200 miles away from Missoula, so it's not like he could have come back mm-hmm. or whatever.
0: Early on, Guy also drove out to Dixon Agency to search Jermaine's house. He was looking for any clues that could help him find her.
1: It's chilling. I mean, because you're going through someone's house and their personal effects. Uh, that when she set that glass on the counter, she never knew that it would never be picked up again when she took those clothes off and threw them on the floor, or when I remember there was water in the tub. Uh, I mean, when she put the plug in the tub to run the bath for herself or her sons, I mean, she never considered at all that uh, that tub full of water would not be emptied by her.
0: Guy didn't find anything at Jermaine's house. So the closest thing he had to a crime scene at this point was the place where she was last seen the alley behind the Badlander Bar. I went back there with Guy. As I look around, I notice several cameras along the alley. I wonder how many of them had video of Germaine from that night. But Guy says by the time police had asked for them, all of the possible recordings had been erased, all except for one.
1: So these are all Missoula Housing Authority cameras. So when you hear that talks about Missoula Housing Authority Surveillance. that's from that camera there, and they're walking this direction.
0: Where is the housing? Like what That is-
1: building is Missoula Housing Authority.
0: The Housing Authority owns part of the building the Badlander is in, and their camera points right down the alley where Jermaine was last seen. Guy's showing it to me. A when a woman from the building interrupts us.
1: I'm Guy Baker. So I'm just talking to her about
0: Hi. story. Oh, cool!
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: You can drive down the alley the wrong direction. Okay, no. I was giving you the stink eye. I (laughs) got
4: you.
1: Okay, no problem.
0: Does she? Do you know
1: her? Uh, she's just a manager of the Missoula Housing Authority that helped you get the video.
0: Oh, but but you guys know each other? I watched the video. This woman, who we just happened to run into, has seen the footage of Jermaine from the surveillance camera. Jermaine's last moments before she disappeared, footage her family has never been able to see. What do you remember about the video? Nothing that was helpful to the investigation, just that I, I, you know, they said she looks like this and I located her and it was so heartbreaking. That so brought home that whole dynamic to me as a mom and I'm seeing her out there knowing she was about to disappear. I won't interrupt anymore. You okay? Thank you. <laughs> the video is part of the evidence in Jermaine's police file, so Guy says we can't see it either. But Lowell has seen the whole thing. How how long is it? Two hours. Oh wow! So she, off and on. So she two and a half hours. She comes in and out, in and out of the footage. Is that oh, yeah. okay?
3: Yep. She spent a lot of time out there, just moving from group to group, person to person, visiting, talking.
0: It's video only, no audio.
3: Everything in me just wants to know, what are you saying? What do you, what are you, what's, yeah. what's the conversation? What do you, and you know, it, it's just, you know, when something is so real, but you know, you, you can watch it, but you can't hear it. Oh, it, it really is painful.
0: Like, does she seem to know the people that she's talking to? Like, are they are these friends of hers that she's going up to? Or is it more just like a social party that she's kind of chatting with people here and there?
3: I'd say yes and yes. We find out later that there were a couple of people that, um, that she was good friends with. And that's why she would frequent that bar. Because she was good friends with people that would also frequent that bar. Jermaine was so social. She wanted to be where people were. She wanted to talk with people.
0: Lowell has never met Jermaine, but by watching this footage and getting to see her walk and talk for two hours, he feels like he's gotten a sense of who Jermaine is, and he desperately wants to help find her.
3: As she left the bar that night, you just saw her walking away. But it uh, it wasn't closing time. It was dark, but it wasn't closing time.
0: It's so it's such a haunting image. Right? Like walking walking away out of frame and then you know you just want to know what what the next what was what was happening there that the camera didn't see or like if the camera was tilted up a little bit more.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Haunting is probably the best descriptor of that. It is absolutely You know, just so many questions of, uh, if we, if only, if only.
0: It's been two years since Jermaine Charlo walked out of this alley and disappeared. Guy estimates he's put in over a thousand hours investigating her case. And it makes me think that Jermaine didn't just vanish, that there are leads Guy is following, clues he's found, and I wonder how close he is to solving her case.
1: You know, I have no doubt that Jermaine Charlotte is a victim of a criminal act. And uh, now it's a matter of putting the puzzle pieces together and figuring out what happened so I can bring closure to the family and I can bring justice for Jermaine by holding the person or persons accountable.
0: Guy says Jermaine's disappearance is not an accident. Someone out there knows what happened to her he's not going to give up until he finds them.
1: I was in Las Vegas with my wife on June fifteenth, two 2019, on a little vacation, and, you know, into bed that night, and I laid in the bed uh, thinking about Jermaine and her family, and that here it is, you know, a year later, and I never thought that uh, a year after I got this case, I would still be working it, and it would be unsolved. So that next day... Either I sent it that night laying in bed or I sent it the next day basically just saying, uh, you know, um, it's been a year and uh, sorry for your loss. And I'm sorry that uh, I haven't been able to uh, figure this out yet and that I'm still working uh, to bring justice for Jermaine and closure for you. So I think they appreciated that.
0: If Guy is having trouble sleeping, worried about Jermaine, I can only imagine how her family feels as the days, weeks, months, and now years go by without any word from Jermaine. Vicky has a porch in front of her house, and hanging along the railing is a string that's hung like a bunting. Tied to it are dozens of little bundles of fabric— They're colorful pouches filled with tobacco.
2: They're they're tobacco ties, and my prayers for her are in those. And I did that almost every day for about a month. I just, um, I go over and I tied them on her fence. And then when we had to move her stuff, then I just brought them and I hung them here, so.
0: I think about each one of those little bundles and how each one is a physical manifestation of a grandmother's longing, Vicky's prayers for Jermaine that will never be answered until she finds her and the truth about what happened to her. I just
2: wish somebody would hear and say, I know what happened. You know? To me, if you're holding stuff, evidence... And you know what happened. You're just as guilty as he is. Whoever it is.
0: What did happen to Jermaine Charlotte Is someone responsible for her disappearance? Coming up on the next episode of Stolen, The Search for Jermaine police start looking into leads about the night Jermaine was last seen.
1: You know, there was information going out that they were trafficking girls, and there was information
3: that Jermaine Charlo had also been traded to them. People just don't disappear. There's something behind it.
4: If someone tries to kidnap you, scream and fight and gouge
0: eyes, do whatever you can, because that's going to be your last chance of fighting for your life. Can you tell us anything about the acquaintance she was with or who he was? Hmm. Stolen is a Spotify original podcast and Gimlet production. It's hosted by me, Connie Walker. This episode was produced by Meg Driscoll and John White. Editing by Devin Taylor. Additional help from Jennifer Fowler, Anya Schultz, Nicole Pasulka, and Heather Evans. Theme song and mixing by Emma Munger. Original music by Emma Munger and So Wiley. Special thanks to Lydia Polgreen, Colin Campbell, and Rehan Harmansi. You can continue listening to the full season of Stolen, The Search for Jermaine, right now, only on Spotify. It's free to download and free to listen to podcasts. We'll be releasing new episodes there every week.